Big Sky, Big Potential. In association with Mills and Reeve, this is Eastern Promise. Achieving more together. I'm Mike Rigby from Eastern Promise, and you are very welcome indeed to the Eastern Promise podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of what's easily the most exciting region in the UK, the East of England. This podcast went into snooze mode as last week Eastern Promise hosted its first live event with an audience at Jesus College Cambridge and more of that in two weeks' time. But we stay in Cambridge as I chat location and leadership with Joe Graziano, founder of Growth EQ, which helps tech firms in Cambridge and beyond find top draw executive level talent from deep within the IP rich technology sector. And finally, events, dear boy, events, said Harold Macmillan, didn't he? No. But what we can say is where to find a kick-ass events venue, thanks to a little bit of crowd sorcery. Listeners to our previous episode from the Quadrum Institute will have heard how Oxford Nanopore was so keen to bring on board a Norwich-based team leader who nevertheless wanted to stay at the Quadrum Institute. They simply bought him a lab in the building where he already worked. The East of England needs talent. It needs to educate talented people, train them, nurture them and sometimes, especially for senior-level executive posts, We also need to find them and bring them here. The market can be fierce, particularly Cambridge's fast-moving tech sector, which is why many firms employ specialists to use their networks to find the best talent. I wanted to know more about how this all works, and so I turned to Joe Graziano of Growth EQ Executive Search, who, incidentally also provided the greatest and simplest piece of advice about engaging with the Cambridge ecosystem, something that's still baffling to many. I caught up with Joe at the offices of Deloitte on Station Square in Cambridge, who very kindly offered to host us. Well, it is an awesome pleasure to be in the beautiful offices of Deloitte here in Station Square in Cambridge, a city I do love to visit. It's always, always good to feel that crackle of purposeful activity in the air. And speaking of, I'm here with Joe Graziano, who is an absolutely fantastic, wonderful chap, who introduced me, incidentally, and we'll come on to this, to one of the most brilliant ways of thinking about this city. And lots of people panic and wonder how to engage with Cambridge, like there's some deep art to it. And it's Joe. Who's, who's trying to desperately, I can see, remember, trying to remember what he said, <laughs> who actually kind of provided one of, one of I think, the, the, the most important phrases that unlocks it. And it's, it was simple and beautiful, and we will come on to that. But Joe, welcome Thank to you. Eastern Promise. How lovely to have you with us. Thanks. Nice to be here. Thank you very much for having me. 
Our pleasure. Can you give me, please, a potted history, um, a boxed biography, if you will, of Joe Graziano? Okay. Uh, let me keep this nice and concise. So, uh, born and raised in Norfolk. Um, actually, just quickly, one of my first jobs was as a sales consultant within uh, the footwear department of a popular national retailer, mm -hmm. a clothing retailer. Um, I was then promoted to footwear manager and I looked after menswear and ladies wear. So I think from an early age, I knew my kitten heels from my stilettos, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, I think I've always been quite driven by work. I went to university, uh, realized that to really make an impact and get my career to where I wanted it to be, I had to move out of Norfolk and I came to Cambridge because I saw such a huge opportunity here. Um, I worked, um, inadvertently quite early on within tech, the tech sector in which I, I still operate today. Um, and uh, I got a job with a, uh, an executive search firm in Cambridge, independent search firm. I was with them for about 10 years. Um, and then I kind of thought I had this entrepreneurial desire to have my own firm, to do this for myself, because I had such great relationships with my clients. And I thoroughly enjoyed the work I did. And I thought, you know what, I want to own this. I want this to be more of a creative, um, sort of outlet for me, my, my work. And so I thought, I'm going to set up my own firm. And just as I was going through that process, AstraZeneca contacted me about working for them. And of course, you don't say no to AstraZeneca. You don't say no to AstraZeneca. They, they presented me with this incredible opportunity to um, join them as a kind of internal headhunter, uh, a talent scout, as it was then called. And my job was to help the global chief information officer build out a data and digital and AI capability globally for wow. AstraZeneca. So I did that over an 18 month period. Um, but fundamentally, I kind of felt as though this entrepreneurial desire didn't go away. This kind of, um, this sort of desire to kind of do something myself and, 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 and have my own firm. And also I missed working within the kind of early stage scale-ups and startup tech space in which I operate now. So I went back to plan A and set up Growth EQ. Um, and I did that just before the COVID pandemic. As we all universally can acknowledge, it's not the best time to be setting up a search firm. No. It wasn't exactly a popular time for hiring. Um, but I made it work, actually. I had some good clients and I, I used that time well and I did some I did some mm. great work. And that was the kind of the really early stages of, of my of my firm, Growth EQ, and I've been doing it ever since, um, what we now, year five. Wow. I mean, it seems to me very much like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you kind of reached a point where, uh, with no disrespect to the people you were working with, you're working for, but you really wanted to do it through the prism of your own creativity and your own energy without having to refer to other people who could sort of, um, and I'll say, trap fetter what you're doing or try and direct it you want you knew where you wanted to go and you wanted to be the one that decided to go there yes that's right yeah i think i knew how to work and partner with my clients within the kind of early stage technology space i, I was very familiar with the strategic challenges of what those businesses faced and i thought if i had my own firm i can do this my way the way that i know is complementary to how my clients operate um, and there's a creative side to it as well. You know, I, I make videos and I share them on LinkedIn and these videos, I make them because I feel as though there's um, something I want to talk about beyond just hiring people, but around leadership and around management, around kind of developing talent and, and that type of stuff. So it's a creative outlet. It's a business that enables me to carry out my best work um, and really kind of serve my clients in the way that I feel is complementary to how they're scaling their businesses. Mm. That's, I mean, that's really, really exciting, really interesting. And, and so much of what we do on Eastern Promise seems to sort of 
come back around to, to, to leadership and, and people like yourself in, in a leadership role. So tell us more about Growth EQ. Um, you, you, you sort of intimated the kind of clients you have, uh, the kind of sector, tech sector, um, IP rich sector you work yeah. in. Tell us more about them. So um, I work with business leaders and entrepreneurs and founders uh, and often investors of um, businesses from kind of seed stage through to series A. So that kind of that venture stage when they're going through kind of an inflection point where they're no longer just technologists. It's all about growing a business and commercializing technology. Um, and often I say that it's important for or rather the most successful companies that go through that transition, that inflection point successfully, are those that recognize that in order to be successful, change is inevitable, both in terms of the mindset of the business and the culture of the business as well. And those that are, are kind of, that, that can adapt to go through that, that stage also recognize that in order to hire the best talent, high quality candidates want to see a leadership team that is prepared to change yeah. and that is commercial ready. Yeah, because it, it, it's not just a, a you know, one side says, oh, we pick you. Mm. You're right. The best recruitment is, is, is that melding. And, and it's interview is, as is often said, a two-way thing. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think you, the process you use is probably a lot more in-depth than that. But And uh, those the, they want to see those values. And, and so what is the kind of company... That that takes on the that comes to Growth EQ and says we want we want we want to take hire you we want your services to find this person. So often it's a company that doesn't have a well defined job brief. Uh -huh. They need to hire someone, but they don't quite know what that looks like. So I kind of lead them through a very consultative process, and I have to sometimes show them what isn't right to kind of arrive at what is right. So there's no incumbent in a role that acts as a reference point. You know, this person who's been doing this role is great in this area, but we want to see more of, of, of this. We don't have that luxury. Often it's for newly established roles. And it's a, my job is to kind of ensure that the right momentum, energy and communication happens through the whole process so that we can arrive at a successful outcome. And I, a shortlist can sometimes be made up of different types of individuals, but there will be some common themes and it's really about me managing my clients and it's about them allowing me to manage them as well. That's what's most important to be successful. This is fascinating because you're right when you say that one of the scariest things, especially in the world of work, when a lot is out, can be out of your control, mm. is change. That kind of change management and any new hire brings change. Mm. And but I think it's the fear of change when it, it's it's one of, not to get too metaphysical, but it's one of life's inevitability. It is one of life's mm. great inevitabilities. Change, you know, is the law of life, as uh, as my boss, my old boss, was fond of saying. So how I'm just intrigued about how you prepare the ground for that process of of change that means that when that candidate hits the ground, they not only hit the ground running, but the team is ready to run with them. Um, it's about asking the right questions through the process. Mm -hmm. And a, a simple, subtle question that seems very simple and subtle can actually be asked to kind of ensure the process is being driven forwards. So it's ensuring that I'm asking the right powerful questions to, to yield the information that allows me to kind of manage the process. So if I ask the right simple questions for my clients from the outset, and indeed from the people I'm speaking to, the people potentially interested in the job, then I can kind of find that match. Wow. But it's just deep questioning. And often it's the simplest questions. Really? Those that are, that most people are, 
you've got to have the confidence to ask, which is born out of experience, I suppose. Mm. I mean, what? So could, could you just give us? I'm, I'm conscious I'm diverting, diverging no slightly worries. from the questions I, I sent you in advance. No worries. But, um, so can you give us an example of this? I just, I, I just find this really fascinating because having done, having done years ago the civil service fast stream, mm. uh, which I failed, um, and you know various various kinds of things, just just in, really interested about how, how that how that the, sim, the what those simple questions are and, and that process. So it's without context, it's it's difficult. But let me try and think of something. Sorry, I have a few moments pause here while I think. Let's all pause. Um, Sorry, right, I'll, I'll cut it out anyway. So it sounds like okay, it. fine. Perfect. So when I've got a job offer for a candidate, um, sometimes I see people in my industry assume that if they've got a job offer someone, because they interviewed for the job, they, they want to accept that job. And then there's a surprise that happens at the end of the process because they might say no. A good example of a very simple, subtle question to ask before you present anyone with a job offer is, you know, we're nearing the end of the process. You've had a number of interviews uh, and meetings with the, with, the, with the business. What do you want to happen next? And that's deliberately an open question that enables them to really? kind of share, well, actually, you know what? I'd like another meeting with the chairman. Or, sorry, I'd like another meeting with the chairperson or the sales director seems super smart. I'd like to spend a bit more time with them to understand more about their role and, and how that kind of role interacts with, with my role. Or maybe they've got a concern around salary or maybe their partner their spouse has got concerns about potentially relocating if if that's what the role well, requires. yeah i've seen you some global relocations on your yeah. case studies so yeah we, we will come on to that no i think that's that, that's really fascinating that you can just ask that that's such a simple i almost a killer question but the question that gets people to think about what they really want and why they're there mm. which you can actually, and I know this, you can get sort of swept away in the process, can't you? An applicant can get swept away in the process. Yes. Um, and if my, sorry to cut across you. If no, my, no, if, no, cut, it, cut across all you like. It, it comes down to my relationship with them. If I've got a genuine kind of authentic uh, relationship with, with, with the candidate, let's call them, or the client, then when I ask these questions, I'm more likely to get some honesty from them, you know, and it's about just building truly authentic relationships with these people. Um, and I think people in my industry get that wrong often, or sometimes. I Do you know, it's, say. it's funny because I was having this conversation with uh, with my spouse um, only yesterday, in that I, I saw this sort of assure on 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 the on the interweb um, mm. from Trevor Noah, who listeners may not know is a, a US um, talk show host, or was until very recently comedian, um, but he's originally from South Africa. And he was saying about how it, it was a comparison, and this may not this may be a very bad one, of um, how the police react in South Africa versus the US. Where in the US they kind of when a, they, they pull someone over, they dress it up in all kinds of reasons. Whereas in South Africa, it's very the, the honesty is quite brutal. Mm. And and he said and it's easier to move on and grow from that brutal honesty than it is from all the dressing up and the paraphernalia. Mm. And, and you, that, that's, that, that's something you make me think of. And it's probably, as I say, a very inappropriate comparison, but it, you're right that finding that honesty can, mm. can either stop the company going down a rabbit hole of a bad hire. Yes. And then the hire being unhappy, the company being unhappy, and then the cost of starting from scratch when they decide that this isn't working. Absolutely. Um, 
And this sounds of talking of simple questions, this may be one. And I think I know the answer already, but I'm gonna ask it anyway, because I promised you I would. Um is there such a thing as an X factor? Or is it just, a, a, do you get a sixth sense about someone? Or is it just, uh, the, you know, the, the, the pros outweigh the cons of this person? Uh, and, and, you know, it's up to the, up to the client. Is there such a thing as, a, as an X factor or a sixth sense? I would say that from my perspective, sixth sense in business is not helpful. Mm. While many hires are ultimately made based on gut feeling, I don't feel as though I've got the luxury to do that on behalf of my clients. I, if I make a hiring decision for my clients, it's based on intangible, it, it's not based on intangible feelings. It's based on hard data. So it's my shortlist of candidates is informed by um, facts, market intelligence, references, recommendations, and, and feedback from the market. Yeah. I spend a lot of time building quite comprehensive shortlists and grading candidates objectively based on their suitability to a job and based on their core competencies. And I do this where possible to really help my clients to kind of make their decision. They can use their gut instinct. They can use their sixth sense if they want to. But my job is to provide them with data and facts. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I think in business, you, the data is the data's often, I was going to say king, but, you know, queen will do yours as well, uh, is often the, is the right driver, isn't it? Because mm. that 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 will tell you what you need to know yes. and also what you, you, you might not want to know or want to face, but you, 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 will, you will have to because that's the, the essence of a, a good business decision, maybe one that makes the heart weep, but, you know, the, 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 head, uh, the head is at least satisfied. And I'd say as well that X Factor or Sixth Sense to me feels like it's clouded with unconscious bias. And, Very good point. And... When emotions are involved, then it, then I'm not doing my job properly. You know, I think my clients can make gut decisions around individuals. I had it recently with a client where I provide I got some some feedback on on a, an individual he'd inter, he'd interviewed, um, and he said to me, I'm, "I'm not sure he's right, the candidate." And I said, "Why not?" He said, "I'm not sure, but he just he wasn't right." What he means is he didn't like him. Yeah. Um, and and I think sometimes we are clouded with unconscious bias and confirmation bias. And I think that X Factor goes in the same camp as that. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I, this has come up on, on, on numerous um, interviews across sectors in that we always want to look at people who are like us. Yeah. And, but that makes, if, if your team is full of people who are like you, then it's a pretty weak team. Mm. And the best decisions, the best products, the best innovations come from a team that is diverse. Yes. And however you want to, you, you want, you want to score that, how you ever want to construct that diversity. Yes. Um, you, when we, when we sort of conversed electronically about this interview, you talked about, uh, and I, I've read about your, on your website, about personality profiling. What does that mean? And what, what, what's the process um, involved in that? Okay. So there's lots of mixed views around personality profiling and people often presume that, well, some people really buy into the, the concept of personality profiling when hiring people. Other people think it's a load of nonsense. Mm -hmm. And I think it's often misunderstood. It should never be used as a way to select someone for a job. It should never validate whether someone's good for a job or not. Right. It should always be used, and I always say this to my clients, it should be used to inform the next stage of the interview process, to understand the boundaries of someone's capabilities so you can probe and through deep questioning really kind of 
get a more rounded view of that individual. So personality profiling should only really be used as a way to inform the next stage in a hiring process. Mm. Or um, things like Myers-Briggs, great to understand the dynamics of a team, how best to communicate with members of your team based on their, their preferences and their styles, their working styles mm. and their personality. Um, but I, I think in the past 10 years, I think company culture has, is something we're a lot more clear on than we were previously. And I think people have hiring managers, organizations have a much clearer view now of these unspoken tangibles that seem to work well within their teams. And personality profiling in some cases can help to understand these behaviors, these values in people uh, beyond a traditional job interview necessarily would. Mm. And we all, you know, a lot of hiring managers I work with, they're not necessarily trained in interviewing people. Um, but we know what we like and we know what we don't like. And that's kind of, that tends to be the basis upon which we interview people. Personality profiling can sometimes add something to that, but I don't always recommend it for every case. Right. Um, I do work with a certified uh, practitioner of Hogan Assessments, which is one of the most, uh, which is the, the, the globally recognized kind of leader, especially when it comes to hiring. Um, to understand people's preferences, uh, weaknesses around leadership and management and motivation. Um, so I work with a certified coach. It's not something I do myself. It's something my firm does. I, right. I pull in someone to do that mm -hmm. for me because it's a whole you know, job in itself. Growth EQ works uh, in Cambridge mm -hmm. and London, and I'm sure lots of other places as well, but they were yeah. the two that kind of leapt out for me, um, Cambridge and London. And you're looking for sort of clients in the in uh, mainly the 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 IP rich tech sector, as mm -hmm. it says. Um, so I just wanted to dial, drill down into because we're here in Deloitte's offices in Station Square, and just out there in the foyer during uh, Cambridge Tech Week, I was talking to um, a lady called uh, Mal Parr, who was uh, from a Tokyo tech startup called Data Gusto, mm -hmm. and we were having. A, a, a quite spirited conversation about Cambridge versus London. Now, let's not go down that road. It, it, but I was just w interested in whether you have a different approach to Cambridge versus London, mm. whether clients in Cambridge and London look for slightly different things, or, you know, the, and there's also the minefield about relocation, because the, the one thing Cambridge and London have in common, I suppose, is the difficulty in finding accommodation. Hmm. So I should invite you to unpack that little word salad. Okay, <laughs> word salad. Um, salaries are not dissimilar for the roles for which I lead searches. Um, the types of businesses I work with are very similar. You know, I, I think there is, of course, London is very fast paced, perhaps compared to somewhere like Cambridge. Um, I think one could argue that in business in the city, well, in London, um, you have to be very robust, perhaps more robust than than somewhere like Cambridge. Mm -hmm. But my experience is they're not they're not too dissimilar. I think we struggle because we do lose talent to London. It's only fifty minutes away on mm. the train from here. And of course, home, the rise in home working means that people can work from London while you know staying away exactly where they are, and then go in. You know, it's not that stressful to go into the office a couple of times a week if you can spend the rest of the week. Absolutely, know. looking out into your lovely garden. Exactly in Cambridge. Oh. Um, Yes, uh, uh, but in terms of my experience of, of, of business, it, it's not dissimilar. Let's come on to talent, okay. because I know that 
a lot of the markets you work in. Mm. I mean, just, just to, for as well as Cambridge and London, are there any other, is, is it just basically anyone who picks up the phone and says, I need your, you know, we need your help to find for, for our, our tech startup, our tech scale up? Yes, um, it's, it's UK wide, um, mostly Cambridge, London, for obvious reasons. Mm. Uh, I've done some work down in Exeter in recent times and up in Manchester, I've done a fair bit as well. So, um, but mostly Cambridge, London. And I, I was sent this quote from someone I shan't name. Um, it was sent privately, but there are there. You can take my word for it, uh, listeners. They're a high-level operative in the Cambridge ecosystem. That sounds very pretentious, but that was my phrase, not his or hers. Um, and I'd just like to, to put it out there and ask, ask, let, let's let's have a, a discussion about it, reflect upon it. Mm. Um, and uh, the biggest driver for laboratory space is access to talent. There is a war for talent in the US, which is why the UK is quickly coming into focus. What drives the talent is the world-class institutions of excellence. Both Cambridge and Norwich have those institutions. Now, I'm not asking you to <laughs> comment on laboratory space, but it's the access to talent. Mm. And this is something you've already hinted at. Can you just say reflect on that for us and your experience of finding talent? Um. Does, does this does this strike a chord with you or has that not been your experience at all? Let's yeah, it, it does. I mean, I, my work is less focused on at the tools, what happens in the labs. You know, in, mm -hmm. it's more at the kind of exec strategic level of, of, of business. Um, but it's clear that talented people are crucial to research and development and to drug discovery. And we need them in the labs. We need to fill these labs um, to further the science. And I get that competition is tough. Um, and I can see that places like Cambridge and Norwich are attractive hotbeds for talent as well. And I think in many ways we are, not just in, in, in business, but in, in many other ways, I think we're about five years behind the US. And I think it's, it's challenging over there, um, hiring. I mean, look at salaries across the West Coast, they're insane. Mm. Um, and unfortunately our salaries are being driven up as well. You know, it, it is a challenge. Um, but I don't like this phrase, the war on talent. It's often used quite often, especially in my industry. I think we have to look at grassroots. I think we have to look at what is supporting talent and how closely your organization is working with academic institutions to ensure we have the next generation of talent and that that talent is appropriate and ready for the workplace. Yeah. Is talent too amorphous a term? Mm. We, I mean, I say this as someone, <laughs> slightly self-serving, but hear me out. I say this as someone who, um, I, would, I would be hard pressed to tell you, this is probably modesty, I don't know, uh, where, where I would best fit in into a workplace. And I'm not saying that would be a C-level thing, but how do you get, can, do you, how do you get candidates to see their talent? I mean, is, are they already pretty well aware? I'm, I'm conscious we're jumping backwards a bit, but, oops, there goes my, there goes my earpods. Um, I'm conscious we're jumping backwards a bit, but do candidates even know their talent when they, you know, they, they come onto your radar. And is talent just too amorphous a term? And you're looking at, a, you know, a, a concatenation, to use a Boris Johnsonism, of, um, of various skills and experiences. And we call that talent. Yeah, I don't think anyone, you know, comes aware of a big sign above their head saying, you know, I'm a valuable talent. I'm talented. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just think people's success is evidenced by their career achievements, you know, in their background and, and, and the references I carry out on them and the recommendations I gain are, are around people. Um, so I, I think that it is perhaps, talent is perhaps the wrong word to use 
<clears throat> to cover such a huge, you know, category of, of individuals yeah. uh, in the workplace. I think things like present presenteeism isn't talent. It's just, I think, fear of being seen to be the first one out the door, <laughs> and that's not that's not a healthy corporate culture. Mm. That's um, and 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 there's, there's I'm sure there are. This isn't the podcast for that, but there's I'm sure there's endless. We can pull out lots of examples of that. But um, I want to come on now to the quote you gave me. Oh gosh. Uh, well, not me personally, but the assembled at the Cambridge and event at the Bradfield Centre earlier this year. Ah, yeah, which okay. has stuck with me. I see you back here with me. Um, which has stuck with me ever since because I've had lots of conversations and, and, and engaging in the Cambridge ecosystem is something you spoke really beautifully and passionately about. And I've raved about it ever since. And lots of people have said to me, I really wish I could get into the Cambridge. I don't, you know, we just don't get anywhere. Mm. And I was conscious that I said this to a person at an event in Norwich. Oh, we're, we're really struggling. I mean, they've since got through, but we're really struggling. And then I turned around and interviewed somebody and I'm from, I've come from Cambridge. I think, well, hang on a minute, just over here. <laughs> uh, but what you said was, you took the secret to engaging successfully with Cambridge. And that was, and this sounds really simple and really obvious, but really powerful, approaching the ecosystem with an open mind. And I just wanted to, for the next few minutes, get into to what that means, what your experience has been, and I'll maybe talk a bit about how my experience has been mm. basically involve yourself don't wait for that embossed invitation yeah. you get in there and you engage what is the joe graziano recipe method for engaging successfully in the cambridge ecosystem okay thank you that's a good question um one which okay let me try and answer so i'm i'm not from cambridge i'm from norfolk not far away but it, it means that i kind of do sometimes feel a bit objective even now um and i guess my experience is that Cambridge is this perfect storm of academic excellence, entrepreneurial spirit, scientific discoveries that literally changed the world, literally changed yeah, the world. Literally, yeah. um, and now we're in this artificial intelligence revolution and Cambridge is in the furnace driving it forwards. And this science, this technology is all stitched together in my experience with this non-hierarchical business community where Seemingly everyone wants to support everyone and everyone wants everyone to prosper. That's my experience. And this is evidenced by how wonderful and welcoming people are at any networking event you know, they are. You go they to. really are. There's, there's this mystery that it's like too cool for school. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's never been my experience of engaging yeah. in any Cambridge event. And it's one of the most wonderful things is when I walk in the door and someone goes, oh, hello, how are you doing? And I'm thinking, wow, this is great. I mean, the other, I mean, tell me how you feel, but I've, I've been to events at, I went to an event, Cambridge Enterprise event at King's College, and I, I didn't reflect on it enough at the time, but afterwards I felt like this massive sense of imposter syndrome. And then I thought to myself, how many other people in that room feel exactly the same? Yeah. They're kind of overawed by the history of it. Mm. When rather saying, actually, you've got something to contribute and it's brilliant and it's wonderful and, and you, you, do, you know, you're really valued. I think we all feel that. I can think, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to have been to so many dinners at the colleges um, and, and been to so many events. I remember I, a while ago, I was at an event, I got invited on a private jet. And it was just, I've just been to so many things around Cambridge and so many events. And I just, I think we all perhaps suffer from that imposter syndrome, but it's incredible. You know, everything, 
I think Cambridge is so small and, and, and the community of the business community is is so um, small, but yet Cambridge and its reputation it has a global impact and that's why it's unique. And I, I, yeah, I love going to networking events in Cambridge. I love meeting people and I love how welcoming everyone is mm. and open and receptive they are to having a conversation and hearing about your business and doing introductions. It's, it's a great place to be. And I'm, I'm, I'm slightly bound to say this, um, but whenever people have talked to me about the Cambridge ecosystem, mm. I've just thought to myself, what, absolutely what you're saying, I agree with what you're saying, do you realise that what you're saying is also true on a slightly smaller scale of the Norwich ecosystem? I mean, I don't, I, I really, it, it is the same. It, it is welcoming mm. and it takes a bit of effort, but maybe that's true of networking generally, which is not, it is not easy, especially if you're not the most you know, naturally outgoing. And the funny thing about networking events is you only really relax when you spot someone you know, which is not the point of a networking event no, at all. No, that's true. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, it's like you've got we've, we've got to do this as, a, as we're, we're all pack animals, maybe in, in England. <laughs> we've got to do that in the presence of of uh, of someone who can uh, you know we've got to move as a pack, as it were. I always in a networking scenario, I always try and find someone who looks as though they're stood there, hoping that someone will talk to them. Um, and there's always one, you know. Sometimes that's me. <laughs> yeah, so go on. What's, your, what's the, the Joe Graziano go-to line oh, for, the, for, for the introduction? Um, I just, I try and not ask the generic, the obvious questions like, oh, hi, what do you do? You know, and tell me about that. I try and build a rapport by speaking about, I don't know, something in the room or uh, something separate to the obvious questions just to try and break the ice or try and crack a joke. If you can yeah. crack a joke with someone, that's, you're winning. That's what I do. I, 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 I make light of the fact that what you have to do usually is, the, A, the light might not be great and everyone's got either a lanyard or a, a badge yes. or a sticker and you say, I've got to do the conference bob now to look at who you are. One second. Yeah. Oh, hello. Yeah. Um, so tell me, tell me what, 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 who are, who's this company and, and, uh, but uh, no, it's and then it's it's it, it is you're right. You've, you've, it's finding that way of, of breaking the ice. And um, I remember the Royal Norfolk show. I ended up because of that. I just heard someone muttering that nobody. This was a it was a a, a workspace, uh, an office fit out company, and he brought with him to the Royal Norfolk show in this tent, uh, IQ workspaces. Um, a soundproof booth, interview booth, okay. for a one to one. Yeah. And he says, oh, nobody's going in it. And I said, I'll tell you what. Come on. So I set up the camera and you can actually watch this on YouTube or, or, or the pod, listen to it on the podcast, but set up the camera. And so we go with these the same radio mics we're wearing now and sit in this soundproof booth. And as the door closes, you can hear the buzz of the show mm. completely stop. And there's just me and him saying, OK, hello, welcome. And um, it, was, it was really wonderful. Just to, and, 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 you know, then you start that relationship. Yeah. Anything to buck the trend and... and avoid the kind of the obvious questions to ask. And also people too often talk about themselves. I think talk about, ask questions, ask other people, you know, questions. I'm fascinated by people. People are really interesting and everyone's got their own story. Everyone goes to work and they've got a whole bunch of other things going in there, going on in their life beyond work, you know? So just try and build a connection with people. Everyone, everyone's getting a text message saying, you are coming home eventually, aren't yeah. you? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. <laughs> um, not saying that happens to me at all. Um, now you have, Judging by the case studies on your website, you've mm. had success as Growth EQ and as Joe Graziano in tempting people from around the world to relocate to Cambridge. Now, I, I wrote <laughs> this, this. Now, this is going to sound like a management uh, meeting for the A team, uh, 80s kids. 
but how do you convince people to get on a plane, Joe Graziano? Um, are, are they already halfway there, or is it, or is it like, a, are, they, are they already accepted that when you're in, when you're talking that that's what it's going to mean? How how does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. So I've had a handful of people I've relocated to the UK from different parts of the world. I think. Um, you know as well as I do, Mike, that it's never going to be the weather that attracts someone to the UK, is it? <laughs> I um, it is a beautiful day. Yeah, it's, say, oh yeah, to my gorgeous. international listeners in Virginia, particularly in Virginia, California, um, it is a beautiful day. It's gorgeous here. So nice. Um, I don't have some magic potion that convinces people to relocate. Certainly not. It's My job is about finding people that are, whose journey with their current business is complete and they're ready for their next challenge. You know, and, and often career decisions at the level in which I operate are more often than not family decisions, life decisions. Right. People's families comes first. And I certainly, as I say, I don't have a magic power by any means. I think it's about finding people who are ready to take on a new challenge. And if the opportunity I presented them is sufficiently compelling and if it's right for them and their family or their relationships outside of their work, that means they can relocate, then so be it. But my job is to carry out work with such rigor that I find, my job is to carry out my work with such rigor that I find as many people as possible that could potentially do the job. Uh, and there's a chance that in some cases they'll be non-UK, they'll be in Singapore, they'll be in different parts of Europe, or maybe on, on the East Coast, or in some cases the West Coast. Oh, um, that's a tough one. Yeah, it, it, it's been, it's so, been tough. I've had some challenges with that as well. I'm here in San Francisco, what can you offer me? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, you know, um, I remember somebody made that comparison on a, on a Friday night BBC Radio 4 um, comedy show that uh, actually it's quite the, the, compa the comparison he made was quite flattering to Cambridge actually because uh, um, you know I, and funnily enough I was at a rail summit meeting in this very city at Cambridge North uh, organised by the, the the elected mayor of the the combined authority uh, Nick, Dr Nick Johnson and afterwards I, I, I interviewed the the uh, East West Rail there is a point to this anecdote uh, I, I interviewed the the CEO of East West Rail who is from Michigan Beth West, and she was feisty, brilliant, great interview. And afterwards, a couple of councillors from Cambridge came up and they said, oh, hi, 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 hi. Where are you from? Oh, Washington State. Where are you from? Oh, Michigan. And it's like, oh, my goodness me. So, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's already a lot. I, I mean, I don't know how much, and I've always wanted to find out. And if you're listening, uh, RAF, Lake and Heath and Irish Mildenhall, I'm very interested to find out how those communities, the American community in particular, but all expat communities engage and how we can sort of better do that, but that's that's uh, um, so yeah, it's 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 it must be. It's a, I, I don't think Cambridge is a tough sell because you know it's it's got all those centuries of history behind it, mm. um, and I I always feel the same way here. I've said this before uh, as I felt when I used to work in Parliament when I was actually physically on the the estate. That crackle of purposeful activity of people whizzing by, and you mentioned earlier the pace of life. Uh, in London and, and, and I, living and working quite close to Norwich, I always find that Cambridge is that bit more, you know, faster paced than Norwich. And it's a pace that suits an individual. Mm. It's some people prefer the slower pace. Some people prefer the faster. And for me, I love working in coming and being and working in Cambridge because it's that happy medium. Yes. It's not quite the as genteel as Norwich, which is fine. I'm not complaining. But it's also not quite as hectic mm. as London. It's got that, that happy middle ground that I yeah. actually find quite 
uh, is elevating the right word? Exciting? Yeah. Drives you further? I don't know. But there you go. <laughs> Do you want to reflect on that? And we'll yeah, I just start winding up. So just reflecting on the, the point around relocation, that the, the, there was a person I hired from, from um, the West Coast. He was originally from the UK. Ah, and he was looking to come back here. You got an in. So I got an in. And, and that's, my, that's my point. It, it, you know, there's, there's no magic potion for this. Right. It, it's just about getting recommendations and, and identifying someone who is at the right point in their journey. Right. That's very interesting. That's, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that with the point, people's points in journeys. But I just want to round up by asking a slightly impertinent, well, that's an impertinent question, but one that fascinates me is, when you engage with the people, you know, your clients ask you to look at you and you get these, these candidates. Obviously, those candidates are still working for someone. Mm. And do you ever get phone calls from people saying, excuse me, what are you doing? Can you leave my, my member of staff alone? Or is it, is, it, is it just like a respected part of, you know, that's the price of doing business. You've got a good person and, 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 and your, your um, involvement or, and the, the people who have taken you on, who've, I'm sorry, employed you. It's just a, it's, it's a part of life. It's a part of doing business in corporate world. They should be, you know, the, the, and, and your involvement spurs them to make a better offer to keep the person they have. Is that something that happens? Yeah, um, not so much. My, it goes back to my point I said a moment ago around, you know, it's about finding people at the right point in their career. The whole term headhunting, I don't really like it. It sounds so aggressive and, and, and quite dated, actually. My job is to gain recommendations, you know, so I'll, I'll never just call someone cold and say, are you interested in this job? I don't necessarily do that. I rely on my network to 99% of the time to kind of rec recommend and refer people to me. And, and those people tend to be especially in the startup technology space, they may well have been involved with a business that's gone through a growth journey and has successfully exited or got to some sort of liquidity event where they're sat now in a corporate and they're like, oh, this is great, but I miss the startup. I miss that kind of entrepreneurial environment and I want to go back to that. And those are the people that I hire, people that have got the scars and bruises of having been through a growth journey and they've been successful and they want to do it again. So if they're in a big corporate, if they're in a business, the chances are they're probably going to leave anyway, you know, um, and it's those individuals I'm more often than not recommended to. That's fascinating because and, and there's such a there must be such a rich pipeline um, mm. of people looking to do that. I mean, I can just think of one off the top of my head, uh, Accela, which is a business accelerator in, in, in Norwich. And I've just seen James Adams, the, the founder and, and, and the other, his partner, Tom Wood. Um, who, you know, they've just put out a video on LinkedIn today and they're, they're, they're really passionate about keeping that, you know, getting involved, keeping that churn going. I, I should probably say a word for Brian Bush as well. Um, but, you know, that, that, that really, that's really interesting, that mindset of, of people who just want to be at that, be at the coalface and be at something at its birth. Yes. And then, I, I don't know, because it's something I've never experienced myself. Mm. It's, it, I've just find it intriguing. That, that's, that, that's all. And, the, and I think being in Cambridge and... It'd be lovely to hear, you know, Nor Norwich, Ipswich. His name is Joe Graziano. It's Growth EQ. Uh, give it a Google. No preferment has been offered or accepted. Um, <laughs> it, it's just fascinating to me, that different mindset of people who, who really want to sort of get back to that. And it's, it's, it, it's fascinating. Joe Graziano, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It's been fascinating. I have really enjoyed it. Likewise. Thank you for, 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 for giving your time so generously and, and joining us on Eastern Promise today. Thanks for having me.
If I'm ever headhunted, it'll most likely be in the literal sense. Decapita, rather than per capita, if you will. Nevertheless, my huge thanks to Joe for that fascinating look at what it means to find the right people for the right job at the right time. Thank you also to the team at Deloitte at One Station Square for the warm welcome. And now... It's been quite the time for events. The busy bees of business at Norfolk Chambers of Commerce rocked their B2B exhibition at the Norfolk Showground. Our friends at the East of England Local Government Association chose Homerton College in Cambridge for their Net Zero Summit and we at Eastern Promise kept it in Cambridge at Jesus College for our first ever event with an audience on decarbonising historic buildings. Whatever sort of event you want to hold, there's a venue in Norfolk, Suffolk, Cambridgeshire or Essex that's right for you. And for recommendations, we turn to our own trip advisors, our own most trusted pilots, for another... Crowd Sorcery. OK, so, when I said events, that was leaving it far too vague to be useful. So, for a talk or panel event, followed by some networking... The University of East Anglia's Enterprise Centre and the Bradfield Centre on Cambridge Science Park are both excellent. For multi-purpose spaces, Mills and Reeves offices lend themselves to all manner of shindigs. And for small group events, Deloitte's office on Station Square in Cambridge is excellent. Hi, Claire Campbell! In fact, Station Square and Station Road, all the way up to Botanic House, offers a lot of welcoming friends and reception spaces. But if you're going to go big, Norwich City Football Club's Carrow Road home is a favourite for black tie events. Now, Deborah Dawson, who's bridging legal solutions with new partnerships at our friends Mills and Reeve, rightly points out that it depends entirely on event topic and size of event. But, she says, we are blessed here in Cambridge with some amazing locations to host events from historic buildings such as Jesus College Cambridge to new research campus sites such as the Welcome Genome Campus and Chesterford Research Park. All of which prompts King of the Connectors, yes, the actual King of the Connectors, Dave Graham, life science medtech biotech networker, to second that last suggestion. Second vote I've seen here for Chesterford Research Park and I'll be there for lunch tomorrow as it's a fave. Hashtag Essex in it replies Deborah. Hilarious! It's definitely a fave, Dave Graham. Tarquin Bennett-Coles, senior partner at SCI Partners, advisor for Gainai Me Limited, pro bono mentor for the Homerton and Changemakers, and careers in healthcare supporter for the MBA and EMBA students at the Judge Institute. Great highlights, Mike. Oh, thank you. Homerton College is a great venue, holds a special place for me, and the team are very helpful. I've also hosted successful events at the Nucleus on Chesterford Research Park. I enjoyed the location, facilities and ambiance at the Bradfield Centre for the International Day during Cambridge Tech Week, thanks to Dr Soraya Jones and Harriet Fear MBE. Norwich Research Park and the John Innes Centre are also fab venues. And 
Speaking of Norwich Research Park, from one friend of the show to another, Dr Penny Hundleby, FRSB, senior scientist at the John Innes Centre, who keeps things concise with simply a link to the John Innes Centre's impressive conference centre facilities. Meanwhile, Dr Tammy Dugan, Life Sciences and Healthcare Partnerships Lead at the University of Cambridge and a guest on our previous episode has another collegiate callback. I really enjoyed Pembroke College, Cambridge last week for the hashtag William Pitt Seminar 23, beautiful venue. We did host our business partners event at Hughes Hall and Robinson College, both fantastic venues. Today I'm heading up to St Catharines for an MLAI medicine event. Looking forward to it. And lastly, Sarah Jones, Business Development Manager at, well, I think this is STAR, it's S-T-A-A-H. Says Sarah, I guess it depends what sort of event you're hosting, size of venue, parking, central accommodation required, but we are blessed to have lots of lovely spaces in Norfolk. And amen to that. Lots to choose from there. And I look forward to hearing more about your choices as we edge towards party season. In fact, I got my first invite today. I mean, always room for more. And there you have it. From our new purpose-built booth, episode 78 of the Eastern Promise podcast is now loose in the wild. Speaking of which... Next week, we'll be down by the Monkey House for my chat with the Chief Executive of the Zoological Society of East Anglia, Claudia Roberts, all from the world-renowned Bannam Zoo. We'll be taking stock of how the ZSEA weathered the pandemic, how it picks out its corporate and charity partners, and how Bannam Zoo is supporting native species threatened with extinction alongside its work preserving species from across the globe. So that's me and Claudia Roberts from the ZSEA's meeting room by the Monkey House. Tune in next time to hear me gorilla. Aww. What? 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 Ugh. I tried to meet Claudia by the leopard enclosure, but she couldn't be spotted. <laughs> hey, who's flinging poo? Yes, well, that's fully in seven days' time. No joke. This week's episode has been delayed by 24 hours, for which I can only apologise, but I know Joe Graziano was worth the wait. Me? Nah. Thanks must go to Joe, to our friends at Deloitte for taking good care of us, to our sponsors Mills and Reeve, to Engineer 49, Darth Fader himself, to all my crowd sorcerers, and to you for listening. Until next time, bye for now. The Eastern Promise Podcast is a Priors Croft production for the Eastern Promise Community Interest Company and was brought to you in association with Mills and Reeve. Achieving more together. You can contact Eastern Promise and find out more about what we do by visiting our website, easternpromise.org.uk.